Well, it certainly is good to be here with you all. Maybe you've never been to this church before. Maybe you're a first-time visitor. And I just want to say that uh, you would have had to have plugged your ears tonight to not realize that this church is all about Jesus Christ and preaching his name and exalting him, worshiping God, glorifying him. And I just want to say that uh, this is a place where you can come and, and learn about God and understand what it means to be a disciple of Christ and what it is that Jesus Christ did for you, did for all of us. And I want to say that um, I may not be a member here, and I may not have been here in a few years, but I can say that my life and the life of my family, we are evidence of the fact that this is a church, this is a body of people that, that care deeply about the fate of the souls of people around the world. Uh, this church has supported us for many years, financially, prayerfully, has kept us in another part of this world so that we could preach Jesus to people that they couldn't reach. And that's how much they care about God and about his message. I just want to thank Pastor O'Donnell for the invitation to come. It is an honor to be here. Um, I know that it seems like we come in and then we leave abruptly, but I really do want to say that, that we'll stick around after the service and look forward to meeting you and talking with you more in detail about the ministry talk with you about missions, about what the Lord has done in North Africa. Please come by our table, grab a prayer card. Uh, these are not completely updated. We've had one more child since then, but you can uh, pencil him in or uh, <laughs> do something to remind yourself. It's hard to keep up uh, with the updated prayer cards, but um, we just praise the Lord for, for what he's done in our own lives and, and in the lives of people in North Africa that we've been blessed to be a part of. I want to turn my attention, first of all, and read a verse from Acts chapter 14 to kind of set the stage here. Acts 14 and verse 27, if you listen to this, the Bible says, And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them, and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode long time with the disciples. And that, that verse and others like it in the book of Acts really... Uh, details for us what it is that a visiting missionary is doing here, what it is that we're doing here, my family and I, why we came here tonight. And that is this, we came to report back to you to tell you about what God's been up to in North Africa, what he has done in people's lives there. And, and it's important. It's important that, that you be encouraged knowing that your devotion, your sacrifice, your prayers, your financial support have made a difference in people's lives. And I hope that that brings you encouragement to know that people are believing on Jesus Christ over there, and uh, it's a direct result of your investment, and uh, I just want to say thank you, and I want to give a, a report that, that honors the Lord and, and puts all the focus on him, because truly it is God who's been doing this work, and thank you, church family. You've been faithful. You've been generous over the years, and you've made that investment in our lives, and, uh, and I'm forever grateful. I'm joined with my family tonight. Two of my daughters are in the auditorium right now. Maya and Kenza are girls, and uh, our boys, one of them is six months old, Oliver, he's in the nursery, and Ian is our two-year-old boy, and uh, my wife is probably with him right now. Uh, Ian has been through a lot in the last month. Uh, October 16th, my family and I were over on the West Coast in uh, the Pacific Northwest, about as far northwest as you can get, in the continental U.S. anyway. We were in a missions conference, and on the Tuesday night of that conference, uh, we put Ian to bed, and... Uh, Next time we picked him up, a little bit later on that night, we realized he was having a seizure that would end up lasting for 15 minutes. And, uh, of course, we called 911, and uh, the medics came and, and tried to stabilize him. They got him in the ambulance. There were seven men working on him in the back of the ambulance, getting breathing uh, 
tubes down him, trying to trying to stabilize him, giving him uh, a lot of medication, and, uh, and and we did not know at that point what was wrong with our son. I, w- I rode with them to the in the ambulance to the ER, where I counted 17 people in the room with him, and uh, they were doing their best to stabilize him, get him. Uh, to where they could start to, to figure out, diagnose what the problem was. They transferred him over to a children's hospital 30 minutes away, and we just praise the Lord for his hand in all of this. Uh, we could have been in North Africa. We could have been in the middle of Wyoming because we had been in the middle of Wyoming on our drive over there. And uh, the Lord put us in the right place at the right time uh, within easy reach of one of the better children's hospitals in, in the Pacific Northwest, if not the country. And uh, a place where there were pediatric neurosurgeons on, on hand, and there's not many of them in, in the country. Um, we got to the children's hospital, and uh, they did a CT scan, and they told us that his ventricles were enlarged. Uh, they diagnosed him with hydrocephalus, too much fluid in the brain that hadn't been draining. And uh, they, they said he needs immediate brain surgery. Uh, we need to put a shunt in there to drain the fluid. And so, of course, we, we went ahead with those plans. He went through the surgery. It was a success. Uh, the shunt was in place. It was working. And uh, days later, he was released. And, uh, and to this day, we're watching him very carefully and, and, uh, and always looking out to see if, he's, uh, if there are any symptoms or signs of, of a failing uh, shunt there. But it's all new to us. We had no idea. Uh, and, and just like that, uh, his life changed. Our lives changed. And I, I, I want to praise the Lord and tell you that, uh, that we serve a great God, that his healing hand was on Ian's life, that uh, the Lord orchestrated so many details uh, that I don't have time to explain, but we praise him for his faithfulness, for his working in our lives. And uh, so Ian, if you see him tonight, um, he, in a lot of ways, seems like the same little boy that you saw in some of the pictures and video on the, on the movie, uh, the film. And uh, if you notice on the side of his head, you'll see a valve uh, underneath the skin. And uh, we're, we're learning to deal with this. We're, we're not sure exactly what it means for our family. We'd appreciate your prayers. Um, there are pediatric neurosurgeons down in Cincinnati that will be checking him out, and neurologists, and uh, giving us some more information. We don't know what it means in the long term. Short term, it probably means we'll be here longer than February, which was our plan to, to go back to the field at that time. And so we certainly appreciate your prayers and uh, continue to think of him. We are the Carters, missionaries out of First Baptist Church in Milford. That's where we're based out of right now, and, uh, and missionaries over in the country of Tunisia, North Africa. It is a Muslim country. Uh, we are not there legally as missionaries. Uh, that's not, uh, the government does not want people like us over there evangelizing, spreading the gospel, proselytizing is what it's called over there. And so we do it a little bit secretively. Um, we are there officially as tourists and have been there for over six years on tourist visas. We have to leave every four months for a couple of days to go to Europe and come back and renew those. And uh, it has worked seamlessly without problem up to this point. And uh, we praise the Lord. We've been in four different homes, rental properties over there with contracts. We've bought a vehicle on, on tourist visas. So we, we want to say that it has been easy to get there and live there and stay there. And I hope that's an encouragement to anyone who's thinking about missions in a restricted access nation. Uh, there are some opportunities like that available. Um, People have asked us in the past, what, what was it that drew us to Tunisia? How did the Lord call us to that place? You know, as a kid, uh, as a teenager in high school, I, I saw and heard a lot of missionary presentations. And I know in many, in many missionaries' lives, the Lord has used those things to draw them or their attention to a certain field or part of the world and put a burden on them for a certain place. And that's not my story. Um, 
for a while there, I thought that I'd be going to Latin America. I spent a lot of time going back to Mexico on missions trips, went to Peru, South America for six months after high school, and I really enjoyed that culture and the language and the people. But uh, the Lord in our college years was really drawing my attention to the 1040 window, uh, the Muslim world. And I just studied it, researched it, and the Lord used that time uh, spent looking into those places to really uh, burden me for those people. And uh, as I learned more about the darkness of Islam, uh, the dark places of the 1040 window, the 1040 window basically is that uh, imaginary rectangular box, 10 degrees and 40 degrees north of the equator, stretching from North Africa all the way over to the Far East. And it, it encloses a lot of the people in our, a, a great population of our world. But not only that, it, in, it includes a lot of the very hostile religions, religious peoples, uh, governments that are opposed to Christianity, things like that. And uh, these are known as restricted access nations, maybe closed countries and, and things, because it's more difficult to do mission work in these places. And as I learned more about them, God just began to really burden me with it. And, uh, and it was through that that we were led to this place in Tunisia, North Africa. As you saw the video, I wasn't able to say something ahead of time, but as you recall some of those faces you saw... I hope that it will make an impact on you. I know you won't remember those faces, and I'm going to say some names in just a moment that I, you probably won't remember either. But for this night and in this moment, I hope it makes an impact on your heart to think that the investment that you've made over the years has made a difference in their lives and souls. All the people that you saw, most of the people, I should say, that you saw in that video are people whose lives have been transformed by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, a lot of these people have become Christians that were Muslims. Or perhaps they were Muslim growing up and they gave up on Islam and, and had turned to atheism or communism or, or some, in one case, Satan worship. Uh, and they came out of that because when presented with the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel, when confronted with their sin and their inability to uh, work and pay for their own salvation, uh, they accepted the free gift of God's salvation through Jesus Christ. And I, I want that to make an impact on you because I want you to understand that uh, just as we read from the book of Acts, Paul was coming back and reporting to a church that had been generous to him and had allowed him to go out and preach to other places where they couldn't go. And, and he wanted them to know that, that hey, you had, a, you, you had a difference. You had an impact on people's lives, an influence on people. And every one of those people, with a few exceptions, are people whose lives have been changed by Jesus Christ. Uh, in the beginning of our Arabic church, we had uh, one man coming. Uh, the, the video talked about a, a family coming over, the master's family coming over to help us. And, and so for the first while, it was ourselves, the Carter family, the master's family, and one Tunisian man named Mubarak. Mubarak is, uh, is an older gentleman, a retired army general, and uh, had, had received Christ prior to our arrival, but was by himself, was kind of uh, afraid of meeting with other Christians and didn't honestly know a lot of other people that were like him. And so Mubarak started coming, and uh, there were some weeks when it was just the Masters and the Carters, and uh, just Americans there, and we, we joked around with ourselves, you know, do we, do we continue to have the service in Tunisian Arabic, since it's just us, or should we go English, or what, what do we do? And uh, little by little, as the Lord allowed, we had more and more people that, that came to know Christ. We had others who came in who had already become Christian before our arrival, and uh, started to get this band of, of Tunisians together who uh, met on a weekly basis and began to worship the Lord together. And at this time, we have probably in the neighborhood of 15 people that come regularly to the service. And uh, we praise the Lord for that. 
people have asked us, since it's a, a, a restricted access nation, since it's a Muslim country, since the government doesn't want you there evangelizing, how do you go about reaching Muslims? And uh, I probably shared with this with you before, and maybe you've forgotten about it, but the greatest way that, or method that we've found that has been useful in Tunisia is not really going cold calling, not just go approaching people that we don't know and, and strike up a conversation. Although we do do those things, it's important to give out the word of God and to, to plant seed wherever we are able to. But uh, we have found in Tunisia and, and perhaps in other Arab countries, other Muslim nations in, the, in our world today, people are, are on the internet, they're hiding behind that, that anonymity that they have in the internet. Maybe they're in their own home on their phone or on their computer, maybe they're out at the cafe, and they're looking and searching for answers, for truth, and they're able to hide behind the anonymity they have in the internet to go out and search for it themselves. Uh, people are approaching these websites that we are connected with. Arabic Bible Outreach Ministry has several websites called uh, Injil.com, ArabicBible.com, and a host of others, which provide tons of resources to Arabic speakers worldwide. So when a Tunisian person goes to their site, or maybe they're just doing a Google search and, and come up with some content from their sites, if they will request a free Bible or request uh, like a Bible study, an online Bible study, they will oftentimes give their contact information. And I've printed out our most recent list. There's, I think, 17 names on this list. And it comes in an Excel spreadsheet from the, the workers of ABOM, is what we call it. And these guys send us over these Tunisians who are located throughout the country. These are real people who basically are saying, I don't have a Bible and I'd like one. I'd like to know more about Christianity. Uh, I want to know more about the truth. And they're able to do that without their family finding out, their friends, their co-workers. And that's important because Tunisians have a lot of fear, a lot of societal pressure. Uh, when your family and friends and, and co-workers and boss and everybody around you is Muslim, how do you go about searching for Christ? How do you go about searching for truth? Maybe, maybe it's somebody who's doubting what they're finding in Islam, and uh, they feel like they can't approach any of the people that they know. This is where they go. They turn to the Internet. People like Tayyab Jebanyeni, uh, a man from Sousse, he, call, he says in here that he's over 40 years old. Uh, he is Muslim. He gives us his, actually he gives us two phone numbers. A lot of times Tunisians will have multiple SIM cards uh, because it's cheaper for them to call somebody on one, on, with one carrier than another. And uh, so he gives us his email, his phone numbers. He gives us his uh, social media accounts. And, uh, and that's just one example. We've got a few women on here, which women are more rare. Uh, I think the women, it is a male-dominated society for sure. And uh, the women, especially younger women, are really kept under controlled in the house, uh, though they have a lot of rights in the country officially, um, especially younger women, younger girls that are growing up, the, the parents will really uh, contain them a lot more than the men. And I think probably because of that, they're a little bit more fearful. I know that, that many of the women that my wife has met with at cafes to hand them a Bible have been extremely nervous, shaking out of fear uh, that someone will find out what they're trying to, to receive and ask questions about. Osama Zaibi, Hishem Ayeshi, Kerim Ben Ramadan. These are people that are located in different parts of the country. Uh, every one of these people, with a few exceptions, are in different cities. Uh, these people are scattered across the country requesting Bibles. And what we found is that by going to these people who are already requesting Bibles, we, we really have an inroad. Uh, the Lord has been working on their hearts. They're at different stages, maybe you could say, of the Lord working on their hearts. Uh, we've had some people that requested Bibles that I honestly thought um, 
this, this guy seems like a radical. He seems like an extremist. And uh, I've had, we've had others who, who essentially came saying, uh, you know, without saying these words, but basically, what do I do to be saved? I mean, they were so ready to receive Jesus Christ. And so we've seen both spectrums. But through this, uh, we met Mubarak, the, the first guy that we met with in church. He had already become a Christian, but he was basically looking for fellowship with others. And that's how we met him. We met a guy named Ali, young man who, who came to us and uh, met us at a cafe and pulled a Bible out of his pocket. We said, where'd you get that Bible? He said, I've had it for two years. Somebody gave it to me. And uh, I have all these questions about what I've been reading. And uh, he brought his brother with him to that meeting, uh, his brother named Hamza. And Hamza was a younger brother. Both of them received Christ. Hamza about six months after Ali. And these guys are just a few examples of, of people that have become Christians, that whose lives have been transformed, began coming to our services and growing in Christ. And uh, just it's such a blessing to be able to report these things to you. People like Yasmin, uh, Yasmin and Hedy, her husband, these two were pictured with uh, traditional clothing, and my wife and, and daughters and I were, were all wearing the clothing. Uh, they invited us to be part of their wedding. And Hedy and Yasmin have been uh, just grown in the Lord so much, especially Yasmin. Hedy has been this, this uh, evangelist, is really the best word for him. Hedy is unlike a lot of the other Tunisians that we've found, and that is that he is on fire for the Lord, not afraid of, of other people, his family, his friends, knowing that he's a Christian, shares his faith boldly, meets with people at cafes and, and in their homes, and uh, has just been a blessing. Hedy has been probably, uh, well, without a doubt, he's brought more people in through the church than anybody else, and so many people come because of him. It's, it's, uh, it's an honor to have him with us, and we, we're praying for him, uh, showing leadership and, and possibly taking that church later on. Uh, people like Khalil and Mohammed. Mohammed is an older man, who, uh, who came and met with us. He has a family, and his, his story is that he is a bank executive for one of the larger banks in the country, and uh, I think because of that, he's a little fearful of, of coworkers finding out and losing his job. His family, he believes, or he reports to us that they are believers, and, uh, and, and though they haven't come to our service, I think that probably out of fear for, for the security not being that great, um, fearful for for his family but uh but muhammad has been growing in the lord has been baptized and uh and joins us on several occasions rahma one of the girls in the video with uh kenza cheek to cheek in a close-up rahma has has really been a faithful member of this church has come and grown in the lord and uh and continues to be discipled another two muhammads we did yusuf shukri marina marina is a is a libyan lady who uh, was a Christian, received Christ in Libya. And if you know anything about Libya, you'd know that it's, uh, it's almost anarchy right now and just uh, full of rebel groups that, that are doing all kinds of things. Uh, just uh, crazy, crazy, craziness going on in the country of Libya. And uh, when Marina received Christ and, and told her family about it, her brothers were uh, told by their father to go after her. And, uh, and she feared for her life. She fled the country, came to Tunisia. That's where we met her, and we're able to spend maybe a year with her before she was sent to Europe for asylum. And, uh, and so we, we had a good time with Marina. Kalthoum, uh, another one pictured in the movie, has been a friend of ours for many, many years, and we've shared the gospel with her on countless occasions. And we have an open invitation to go meet with her, her siblings, her family, and talk about the Bible with them and just 
an awesome opportunity. Though she hasn't received Christ, she's told us on many occasions that she, um, uh, in different ways, she, she likes what she sees in our family. And, uh, and, and we point her back to Christ and to the word of God and, and show her and, and teach her from the word. Um, I just want to say thank you for your investment. It's made a difference not just in our lives and our children's lives, but in the lives of people like that. And, uh, and I hope that, that you'll take that to heart. Understand that, that what you give and what you, how you pray, how you conduct your lives are making a difference, not just here in this greater Akron area, but around the world as well. We had been re- planning a return to the field in February, but as I, as I mentioned with Ian, our plans are a little bit up in the air right now. And uh, if you'll continue to pray about that, we'll continue to keep our churches updated and informed. Um, we need to get him in to see the specialists in Cincinnati and see what they say. But uh, prior to all this happening, we'd been planning on moving, thinking about moving from Tunis, the capital, down to a, a more centralized location. Because as I said, these leads or these contacts, these Bible seekers are coming in from all over the country, and we pretty much have to ignore a lot of the ones that are in the far south and central parts of the country because we have our hands full in Tunis. And, uh, and if we were to move down a little bit closer, centralized area, we'd be able to go out maybe three or four hours out in each direction and reach more people, start new ministry there. So if you'll pray about those things, we certainly would appreciate it. And if you'll take your Bibles and uh, go to the Old Testament with me, if you don't have a physical Bible, this is going to be a little challenging, but uh, Genesis chapter 1 through 11, if you hold that in one hand, Genesis chapter 1 through 11, and then in your other hand, just keep that chunk in one hand, and then if you will take your other hand and find Genesis chapter 12 and go to the end of the Old Testament, all the way. You can go to Matthew 1 and back up from there if you want, uh, or go all the way to Malachi chapter 4. And when you get that, those two chunks, I just want you to look down at them and hold them in your hands And notice the difference there. And understand this. There are people, scholars, that have studied this a lot more than I have. And I'm trusting in their uh, their wisdom in this. But they they claim that this is a similar amount of time, chronologically speaking. That these two chunks of scriptures represent a similar quantity of time. And I just kind of let that soak in for a moment. and, uh, And think about what that means. You know, there are people who think that the Old Testament is God, if we were to simplify it, is God working with and loving the nation of Israel. And that it all, it all has, you know, has to do with the nation of Israel and God doing things with them and for them and through them. And I think that that's a, a pretty short-sighted view of God and of the Old Testament. Genesis 1 through 11 is an account of everything we have before the nation of Israel. You realize that, that uh, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, is the Abrahamic covenant. And uh, we know that Abraham is the father of the nation of Israel. So, technically speaking, the nation of Israel wasn't even founded until at least Genesis chapter 12. Some would say that the true, the true uh, father of the nation of Israel would be Jacob. Um, and, uh, and, you know, semantics there. But that leaves us with Genesis 1 through 11 a similar portion of time to the rest of the Old Testament where God was working not with the nation of Israel, but with other people. And uh, so what does that mean for us? Well, it means that when God created man, 
he created a non-Jewish man. When God created the first woman, he created a woman that was not Jewish. When God set into motion his redemptive plan for all of mankind, it was, in, it, it was a result of the sin of a non-Jewish person. And God walked with these people in the garden. He cared about them. He had a relationship with them. God, we know from Genesis 1 through 11, God accepted the sacrifices of a non-Jew named Abel and had respect unto him. God had a close relationship with a non-Jewish man named Enoch, as Enoch walked with God, the Bible tells us. A non-Jewish man named Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He walked with God, and God saved him and his family from the great flood. And perhaps the clincher would be Abram, Abraham. As the father of the nation of Israel, he wasn't even Jewish himself. God used a non-Jewish man to found the nation of Israel. Um, Genesis chapter 10, Table of Nations. God created 70 nations. And I just, what I'm trying to do here is explain that God spent an enormous amount of time with people prior to the founding of the nation of Israel, building relationships with man, walking with man, uh, having that, that personal relationship with man, accepting sacrifices, working in people's lives, all prior to the founding of the nation of Israel. God created the nations, Genesis chapter 10. God created languages, Tower of Babel. God cares about all people and nations. You, you realize that the, uh, the term respecter of persons is not just a New Testament term. It is a, a term applied to the, to, to the Lord throughout Scripture, that God didn't become a respecter, uh, not a respecter of persons in the New Testament. He's always been that way. God has always cared about all people and all nations. He's never been willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so I open with that to, to help us understand this view of God is he's, he's greater than, than what we had thought of him. Uh, the fact that he used the nation of Israel, we know from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 in the Abrahamic covenant that God wanted to use that nation. He founded the people of Israel. He loved them and cared about them, but it wasn't just about them. He was to use them as a channel that he could work through to bless the other nations of the world. And by the way, that wasn't just a future spiritual blessing because Jesus Christ himself would come through the nation of Israel and, and through him would bless the nations and, and allow for salvation to come to all people. But he worked through the nation of Israel in the Old Testament to bless the nations and, and allow the nations to understand more about who God is and what his character is. And that's what I want to talk about this evening is this, from Exodus chapter 9, if you'll go there. This is going to be the, the topic here, God's interaction with the nations. One of the things I love about the Bible is that we can see God as a missionary God throughout the whole scriptures. Uh, you don't have to go to the New Testament to find out that, that missions is what God is all about, that he's mission-hearted, that he cares about all people and all nations. We can start in the Old Testament and find him as a mission God, a mission-hearted God. He cares about all nations and all people. He wants to have that close walk with them. He wants to be glorified and praised by all people of the world, and he's been doing it for a long time. Exodus chapter 9, I love examples in the Old Testament of missionary activity and a missionary-hearted God. Exodus chapter 9 and verse 13. I guess I should go there too. 
And Moses stretched forth his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind, I'm sorry, I'm in chapter 10. By the way, we are in the midst of the plagues. And, uh, and, and many of these plagues have, if you'll go back and study these, you'll see how that God wanted to use this time in Egypt to bring himself glory and honor, but to announce to the nations who he is, how that he's a great God. There's no one like him. There's none like him in all the earth. And that is the point of the plagues. It wasn't to punish Egypt. It wasn't to punish the Egyptians for what they did to his people, the nation of Israel. God had a much greater purpose than that, and that was to announce to the nations who he is. Exodus chapter 9, verse 13, And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning, and stand before Pharaoh, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For I will at this time send all my plagues upon thine heart, and upon thy servants, and upon thy people, that thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. For now I will stretch out my hand, that I may smite thee and thy people with pestilence, and thou shalt be cut off from the earth. And in very deed for this cause have I raised thee up, for to show in thee my power, and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. As yet exaltest thou thyself against my people, that thou wilt not let them go? Behold, verse 18, tomorrow, about this time, I will cause it to rain a very grievous hail, such as hath not been in Egypt since the foundation thereof even until now. Send therefore now and gather thy cattle, and all that thou hast in the field, for upon every man and beast which shall be found in the field, and shall not be brought home, the hail shall come down upon them, and they shall die. He that feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his cattle flee into the houses. And he that regarded not the word of the Lord left his servants and his cattle in the field. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch forth thine hand toward heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, upon man and upon beast and upon every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and the fire ran along the ground, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, very grievous, such as there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for how it instructs us, how it leads us and teaches us and guides us. God, I pray that tonight, if there is one or two or more in this room that have never trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior, I pray that they would understand their need of a Savior. Uh, we cannot work for our own salvation. I, I hope that every one of us in this room understands that we were born sinners. We were born enemies of God. We've run from you. And there is nothing that we can do to reconcile that to you. God, we have to come humbly before you and understand that, that you made a sacrifice on our behalf. Jesus Christ went to the cross bearing the sins of, of ourselves and took that upon himself, though he didn't have to. And you offer us salvation through him, through that blood, his shed blood on the cross, and that is how we can be made righteous in you. And God, I pray if, no, if there's one in here that's never done that, Lord, that tonight they would come to know you, come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and that for the rest of us, Father, that this this text, this passage would inspire us and instruct us in how that you are a mission-hearted God, how that you've always been that way, and you want people around this world to know your character, to know who the true God is, the one God, the God of Israel, the God of all nations. Lord, I pray that you would do something in our hearts, and, uh, and may we remember your word in Jesus' name. Amen. God's interaction with the nations. 
uh, it's not a New Testament concept. God has always been this way. He's always cared about all people. And uh, what we find in the Old Testament is this, God working through the nation of Israel and, uh, and allowing other nations to learn about who he is and declare himself to other nations. Uh, we find it in this passage. We find it in verse 14 at the end where God says that thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. He wants the world to know that there's only one God in the whole earth, and that's the Lord God who we serve. And in verse 16 as well, God, God admits to us here that he has raised Pharaoh up for this one reason, this one purpose, for to, to show in thee my power. In other words, to work through this nation of Israel as a beacon to the world. God knew that the world, the nations, the people of the earth, even though they didn't have the same kind of technology we have, the same kind of uh, news mediums, that, that news would travel, that word would travel around to other nations and all the earth, he says that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. God did this act in Egypt for the sake of the nations. He wanted all people to know him and know who he is and to understand his character. And this is how he interacted with them. First of all, it started with a message from the Lord. It started with a message from the Lord. And what was this message? The text tells us that, that God told the nation of Israel, told the people here, that death and destruction was coming. But that wasn't the end of the message. God also revealed that he was offering salvation through a certain and a specific way. And it was by grace through faith. And I'm not just saying that because it's convenient. But I'm saying that because this is a picture of God's salvation. We know that salvation, uh, salvation for ourselves and, and is made crystal clear in the New Testament comes from the blood of Jesus Christ. But it comes by grace, meaning that we didn't earn that salvation. It wasn't something that we did, and we didn't deserve it. God wasn't, uh, God wasn't required to, to give that to us. It was completely free. It was a gift, something that we didn't deserve. It was grace, and it comes through faith. We have to have faith in Jesus Christ and that he died for our sins, that he did those things and, and have that sort of belief and faith. And, and that, that is how God works. He gives us these free gifts that we didn't earn or deserve, and that's how it was in this story. It was a physical salvation. So there is a difference here. God made it, made it plain that if people were to follow his word and have faith in what he said— that there would be salvation from them. They wouldn't die physically. And uh, we'll find out later that that's exactly what happened. It was a message from the Lord. It reminds me of God's message in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. In other words, there is death and destruction coming. Our sins have condemned us. And, uh, and if you're here tonight in, and you have never trusted in Jesus Christ, your sin condemns you. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Death and destruction awaits you at the end of this life. But... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is by grace. God offers it to us free of charge, not by our own doing. And it's through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. So not only did it start with a message from the Lord, his interaction here, but it required a messenger of God's choosing. One thing that we notice in scripture is this. God could announce things a different way. There's nothing restricting God. He's, he has no restrictions. God could do absolutely anything. He's capable of everything. But the way in which he works is this. He brings his message down and gives it to, to one person or two people or a group of people 
and he allows those people to do the work of spreading that message. He's always done it that way. Uh, at times, God uses angels and has used angels in the past, but even those angels aren't, aren't required to spread the message to all the earth. Though they could, God could enable them to do that. Evidently, for whatever reason, God has chosen this method. Whether it's through angels, he will deliver that message to a person or a group of people and allow that message to be spread abroad. And aren't you glad that God does it that way? That God gives us that purpose in life? Uh, God, in his, in his sovereignty and his will, has, has made it clear that it is our responsibility as disciples of Christ, as children of God, to take the message that God has and give that out to other people. And that is how people will come to know about God. It required a messenger. In this passage, God had Moses. God had Aaron. And uh, it was up to these men that God would give the message to Egypt through them and, uh, and use them in his work. Exodus 9.13 And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say unto him. And you realize that as children of God in the New Testament times, God has given us that, that same sort of instruction that God has required of us to be his messengers. And you may think, uh, you know, God, God never chose me like that. Well, you know, the great commission that Jesus gave was not just given to a set group of people. It was given to the church. And God has given each of us that purpose, that we are to take the message of God, that there is salvation if you'll believe in faith in Jesus Christ and on his shed blood. And that is the message that he's requiring us to be his messengers of. Uh, I want to read something from this book. I brought this book up. This is a, a compilation of old journals. Uh, so this, this would have been released at different intervals of the year. It's called Missionary Review of the World. And uh, th this ran from the late 1800s to the early 1900s. And just, it's, it's really remarkable. This is just one year. This is 1914, volume 37. And uh, basically, these are stories about mission and missions and missionaries and missionary works that went on at this time that, that you really won't read about in other books, missionaries that maybe didn't make the big biographies. And, uh, and I've learned so much about this in Muslim missions. It's just amazing to me. We think of maybe missions to Muslim areas as being a, a newer concept. But back in 1914, they were really concerned about reaching uh, nations that had been completely consumed with Islam. They were concerned about Muslims and about uh, their souls and getting the gospel to them, and it just blows my mind. But in, in this book, I want to read this about changes in North Africa. It says this, On my first visit to North Africa, I tried to find access to the Mohammedan students in Cairo, but it was impossible. But a little over two years ago when I returned and raised the same question, the government officials said, You may hold meetings for them, but we would not advise it. It will but fan the flames of fanaticism. And remember, this is 1914 that we're talking about. And it uh, goes on to say, Some of the more conservative missionaries were amazed at our plan proposed to secure the largest theater in Egypt for our meetings. And that just makes me chuckle a little bit because having worked in North Africa for over six years now, it, it makes me think the same thing would happen in Tunisia right now. If somebody came to Tunisia and, and spread the word that they wanted to have an evangelistic meeting in the largest theater in Tunisia, which in the capital Tunis, I know exactly where it is. It'd be downtown Tunis. There was just a suicide bomb attack there about a month or so ago. And if they were to say that, the, the conservative missionaries that learned about it would go into hiding. 
nobody would want anything to do with this person because they'd be so fearful of, uh, of being found out as missionaries. But here it is in 1914, same thing going on. It says there was a play each night, so we could not secure the use of the theater for the evenings when students were free and were obliged to content ourselves with the very unfavorable hour at the close of the afternoon. Don't you love it when God does something in a way where we thought there was no hope or no way? And uh, we think we, we got the, these missionaries thought that they had the worst time slot, uh, a time when nobody would be free and be able to hear the message. And, and just amazing how God works. The first afternoon, he says, I went down with some misgivings, but every bit of space in the house was taken. After the first day, the police and some of the British soldiers were called upon to keep order among the hundreds outside who could not gain admittance. Afternoon after afternoon, I sought to set forth positively the truth as it is found in pure Christianity without equivocation, but without making any attack upon Mohammedanism or even speaking against agnosticism. Attention was fixed upon the living Christ. On the last afternoon, when the time came to give up the theater because of the play, I had not finished, and I saw there was very intense attention. The audience was largely composed of Mohammedan students and unbelievers from the government colleges. I put to them a proposition like this. Those of you who would like to believe in the deity of Jesus Christ, if you could do so with intellectual honesty, meet me at the Hall of the American Mission, which was about a half a mile away. To my amazement, when I arrived there, I found this hall filled with about 600 students who had come in response to this invitation. We experienced one of those times when one stands face-to-face with the living Christ, an experience which in itself is an evidence of the living Christ. Um, You know, God, for whatever reason, has required a messenger to take his message to people. And it's because of that, it gives us great purpose in life. And this individual said, I'll go, I'll take the gospel to Cairo, Egypt in 1914 and, and saw God move in a miraculous way. Hey, it's just our job to get the message out there and leave the results up to the Lord and allow him to work on hearts and lives. Not only that, but it demanded faith from the heathen. Demanded faith from the heathen. Like I said, this salvation came by grace. It was given as a gift from God. They didn't deserve it or earn it. In fact, many of the other plagues were just, they were plagues that came upon the people of Egypt. They had no escape from it. And here in the middle of it, we find a plague where God actually allows for an escape from the plague. But there was a catch. People had to have faith in him. What did that mean? Well, God said something. God gave them a way out. He gave them that offer of salvation, but they had to believe what he said. Because if they didn't believe what he said, then they wouldn't do what God said to do. That's faith. Faith is belief and action. You know, they're very closely connected, belief and faith. But every time we see faith in Hebrews chapter 11, for instance, the hall of faith, the Bible says, by faith, Abraham, or by faith, Moses, so-and-so, did this and that. And, and there's always an action verb that comes after that. Why? Because faith is that outward acting, that, that action verb that accompanies the belief that is found inside of us. That is faith, belief plus action. Faith is the substance, Hebrews 11 one says, that substance being something tangible, the evidence, it says, of things not seen. And, uh, and so, you know, we remember Jesus in his ministry on earth talked about what great faith, so great faith he hadn't even seen in Israel when that Gentile centurion came to him and said, I know, I know that you can heal my servant and you don't even have to go there. I know that if you'll just speak the words that he'll be healed. And it was that, that 
prompting of his inward belief uh, that, uh, that caused him to come forward to Jesus and, and say those things. It required faith from the heathen. The Bible, the Bible says that God had a message. He gave that message to his messenger, which was Moses and Aaron. They gave that message out to Pharaoh's court. And uh, this is an interesting part of this, okay? Moses and Aaron didn't give the message to the people of Egypt. He gave it, they gave it to this court of Pharaoh. They gave it to Pharaoh himself and the people that were there serving him. And then it was, it was up to those guys to believe and have faith in, in God that what he said was true. And upon that faith and acting in that faith, they would go and tell the constituents, all the people of the nation of Egypt. You realize that if, if they didn't believe in God, if they didn't have faith in him, they wouldn't have told the others. And nobody would have known what God said. And you know the same thing is true today. If we don't have faith in God and believe that what he said is true, we won't take his message like we're supposed to to the nations. The people will be left without the word of God, without that hope of salvation. It really is our responsibility. It really is up to us to share that message. It demanded their faith. God said, there is death and destruction coming. Any person or any animal that's outside the house will be killed by the hail. But if you will just bring them inside, they'll be saved. A person had to believe that God meant what he said. And they had to act in accordance with that. Bring in their animals, bring in their people. And the Bible says that those who did that, they were saved. And those that didn't, they were killed. You realize that it demanded faith from the heathen, but also not just the heathen, the messenger. And if you're going to take God's message to other people, it's going to require faith. Why? Because you have to believe in the message that God gave you. You have to believe that and you have to act in accordance with that and, and take it physically. Use your legs, use your hands, you know, use your mouth and, and, and allow the word of God to be proclaimed in people's hearts and lives in whatever way that might be. Maybe you write it, maybe you type it, maybe you send it as a text message. Maybe you walk and take the word of God, the printed page to somebody. You speak with them, you share with them. However it might be, it's going to require faith. And, and Moses Man, he gave us an, exa an example of faith here, a demonstration that I never saw before. If you go in verse 33, um, before this happens, the hail has come, the fire has come, there's death and destruction, and Pharaoh says, I've had enough. And he went to Moses and said, tell your God to call it off. We're done, we've had enough. In verse 33, it says, and Moses went out of the city, um, I'm sorry, verse 29, Pharaoh has, has entreated Moses has said, entreat the Lord that he will be done with this. And Moses, in verse 29, and Moses said unto him, as soon as I'm gone out of the city, I will spread abroad my hands unto the Lord, and, and it will cease. It'll all be over. But Moses said, as soon as I'm out of the city. You know, Moses was in Pharaoh's court here, perhaps looking out over the, the, the country, seeing the death and destruction, seeing the hail and all that, and he could have spread his hands abroad in the house, in Pharaoh's court right then and there. But instead, he, he chose to give a nice display of faith. He believed in what God had said. He believed that he was God's messenger and that God was going to protect him. And he said, as soon as I'm out of the city, I'll spread my hands. Now, God had said that if you're outside of the house, you're dead. And here we find Moses going out in the midst of the hail, out in the midst of the fire, exiting the city, the place where there was the death and destruction. And all the while, Pharaoh and his court are watching Moses walk through fire walk through hail, and get safely on the other side before he raises his hands to God. It's a display of faith. We have to believe in what God is sending us out there to do and have faith that he's going to see us through. And not only that, but very quickly, 
God's interaction with the nations here showcased the fulfillment of his promise. And what was his promise? His promise was that there is salvation coming to you if you'll do what I said. If you'll bring in your people, bring in your animals. And this interaction with the nations, was a, it was a fulfillment of that. God gave us in his word here this, this truth that when God says he'll do something, he's going to do it. When God promises something, he's going to fulfill it. And you can just count on that. You can just count on God and believe him that when he promises you something, he's going to fulfill that. And, uh, and, and this is a showcase of his fulfillment, his, the fulfillment of his promise. He always does what he says he'll do. Let it be a motivator for us to be obedient to God in response to his message. We need to teach it, his word. We need to preach his word, speak it, write it, publish it, translate it. All of these things are so important because his message is important. We are his messengers. And it's important that the nations, that all nations hear the truth about who Jesus is. We're called to take that message to all nations, to go to each individual, that they'll have the opportunity to put his or her faith in Jesus Christ and realize the fulfillment of God's promise. And what is that promise? The promise that there is salvation, there is hope beyond the grave here, that God uh, in, his, in his will throughout time has, has performed the redemption necessary to purchase the sins of each individual and has given us uh, the adoption into his family, has given us that salvation it's an important message, and we ought to be busy about fulfilling it. Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for how that you give us these examples, even from the Old Testament, Lord, that show us your character, that you care about all nations. You want all nations to understand who you are. You, you care about your name. You care about uh, your name being glorified and worshiped and praised. And Lord, that, that continues to this day. We don't want your name to be polluted in any part of this world. And the fact of the matter is, when people don't know the truth about who you are, when they don't have your word, when they don't know your promises and can't put their faith in you because they don't know you, it's a pollution of your name and your character. God, people are worshiping other gods and idols. Lord, I pray that you would, you would show us, God, make it clear in our lives that you have called us to be your messengers, to take this message of salvation to all nations and all peoples. God, what we need is a little more direction from you about what that means to us each personally. And God, I'm speaking for myself as well. Lord, I, I pray for more direction and more guidance in my own life. 